Welcome to First Time Lord. I'm Daniel Levain, and I am the first time Time Lord in that I had never seen the show until I started the podcast uh, at the behest of so many of my friends. And now I am so thankful. And every week I sit down and watch an episode and then sit with an expert and get more out of that episode than I could just by myself. And this week we're talking about the 2009 special, The Waters of Mars. And I, I, when, when you think of special, it's got to be somebody special. And the most special person in my life is Jamie Kern. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about that. But <laughs> uh, you are super special and you're oh, welcome to you. the podcast again, Jamie. Thank you. I'm happy to be here as always. Well, uh, as always, we are glad that you're here because, oh my goodness, this, uh, this episode uh, we're going to jump into it. So dear listener, if you have not, this is a perfect opportunity to pause the podcast and go watch The Waters of Mars because in the course of our discussion, we're going to spoil the plot like right away. <laughs> so right. Uh, you, you want to go ahead and watch this. Uh, give yourself the joy that I had of watching this episode and then come back and learn some more and uh, join the discussion. So here we go. I, I knew, <laughs> I knew this was coming. I was warned at the end of the episode last week in the TARDIS tidbits, uh, it, you know, it was said that it was the last time for the doctor to have fun. I was not prepared <laughs> for the craziness that ensued. And halfway through this episode, I, I, I said to myself... I, I don't like this. I right. I really don't like what's happening here. Right. Yeah, fun is not the word that I would use. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, it was absolutely like, why are you doing this to me, Russell T. Davies? Maybe right. I don't want you to come back. Right? <laughs> right. I don't know if you remember this, but when you first started the podcast, this was the this episode was the one I said, whatever you do, when you watch Waters of Mars, I got to talk to you about Waters of Mars. Mm. And I was like, you know, even if with all the other episodes that we've done already, this was the, the first one that I said to you, I got to do Waters of Mars with you <laughs> because I wanted to see your reaction oh to this gosh. particular episode. I, I, I mean... So just the setting, you know, it looks like it's going to be a normal doctor exploring by himself. And, you know, we had some cool other adventures already with the doctor not having a companion. Right. And, you know, he's wearing the space suit, which he's done before. You're like, OK, we've seen this before. And then it launches into the, the, the that base in Mars and... And immediately it's like, oh, yeah, you all you, like we know from the doctor because we could see the flashbacks. They all died. They all die. It, and, gets, it gets real creepy and real dark real fast. Right. And he mentions the thing that earlier in the series, because uh, I, I guess, you know, on a, uh, HBO decides to lump all the specials at the end of a series. So yeah. in some places or box sets, this comes before the next uh, season or series. But for the purposes of HBO Max, which is how I'm watching it, this is part of series four. 
And he had that whole thing in Pompeii where he discussed how, you know, certain events in time are fixed. Yeah. And then he had the realization that, well, maybe this isn't fixed because things are happening. And if I don't do anything, then the eruption will never actually happen. Uh-huh. And so, he uses that as an example, even. Mm-hmm. He even calls back to that and uses it very specifically as an example for why he can't do anything. Right. And like he has that moment of like, I can't because anything I do, it's just it's wrong. And, you know, it's like a little pity party going on for the doctor. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, it's like, no, you you've got to. You did something in the other in the Pompeii episode at the beckoning of Donna. So, like, come on, you can do something here. Like, I'm sure it's going to be fine. And it just, like, from that point forward, it got really, really dark. Yeah. Uh, not only because we knew these characters were going to perish regardless, but also the doctor's actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was almost a regression to the first time the doctor met Donna when he's, like, sitting there watching the spider race of people, like, just be slaughtered mm-hmm. by him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we talked about how that was, I, I, I didn't necessarily like that doctor, you know, he was a little too, you know, he needed that companionship. He needed that presence. Donna said it. And, you know, through Martha and Donna, he got so much better. And so this is like, uh, you know, the doctor regressing back, like, you know, falling back into his old habits. And I hated it. I really did. Yeah, this episode is like the ultimate example of why the doctor needs to have a companion, why he should not travel by himself, Mm -hmm. because when he travels by himself, he makes poor decisions. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like he uh, all sorts of poor choices, uh, you know, and he has that whole speech about how, you know, I'm the last of the Time Lords. And we hear, you know, the voices in his head repeating the whole thing. They all perished. I'm the last one. And what does that mean? And then his take on it, at least for that moment, is I am the master of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I control all of it. Yeah. He says the laws of time are mine and they will obey me. I mean, mm. obey is such a specific choice of word to use. Oh, yeah. Right. And, and very purposeful. And I think when you hear that line the first time you have one of two reactions when you hear that line you're either like yeah doctor let's do this let's save these people or your like heart sinks and you're like oh no mm-hmm. <laughs> oh oh no oh that's <laughs> you know? exactly it, w- it was like watching a good friend like go on a bender after he's been clean and sober for years yeah you know, yeah, it, exactly. It, it, that's exactly the emotions it it, it, it evoked in me. It was painful because mm-hmm. you you want to help, but you can't. It, it it is you know sometimes people have to go through these you know horrific situations to come out the other side, mm-hmm. and it, it was just this slow motion development where you I knew where it was going like from the word go I'm like this is not gonna end well for anybody yeah the first time I watched it I remember feeling like I'm not I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel right now because like 
you want the doctor to save people. That's why mm-hmm. you watch the show, right? Mm-hmm. Like you want, you want them to, but the doctor himself has told you that he shouldn't do this. And so I remember feeling like, I don't, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. I don't know. I don't know what to do right now. <laughs> uh-huh. it, it, that's exactly. I mean, it was this progression of no, no, no. And it just kept getting louder and louder in my head until, like I said, there was that moment where it's like, I do not like this, Sam. I am. I do not like this. <laughs> uh, you know, it was just, ah, oh, it was heartbreaking. And let's talk about the, 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 the creature. I mean, did we ever get an actual name on Mm-mm. the thing? No, we never do. It's never named. So an, another, you and I doing another unnamed creature that is yeah. uh, threatening the existence. This one doesn't terrify the doctor as much, but I love the idea because the doctor says how, you know, water is unstoppable. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it can go through a planet. Mm-hmm. And that's it will it will wait. It it can take its time. Yeah. It will, you know, forge mountains and valleys and and yeah, and it takes, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of years to do that. And so water will, will take its time to do what it needs to mm-hmm. do. And that is that's when you think about it in terms of the creature, that's moderately terrifying because you just feel like it could be laying in wait and f- for however long it needs to, to mm-hmm. get to you, whatever it's going, whatever it has to do, it will wait you out, you know? Right. It, well, and, and it did, you know, mm-hmm. in essence, we find out that it was stuck in this glacier. Uh, the presumption, uh, I think the doctor mentions it, is that whatever the the race that used to live in Mars mm-hmm. uh, almost all but sacrifice, sacrifice itself to freeze all of the water mm-hmm. to contain or capture whatever this thing is. Yep. Uh, so the fact that it's been sitting there waiting for you know thousands and thousands of years, uh, and that you know. There's a little bit of impatience when they're chasing the doctor the first time and he jumps on the little cute robot and turns it into <sighs> like a super speedy uh, right. Segway. <laughs> right. You know, after the, he's been the, the whole episode, he's like, bikes, you could have done bikes. <laughs> you know, little tiny folding bikes. <laughs> and I love how at one point she's like, you know, as they keep running up and down these hallways, she's like, you know what, doctor, you're right. About you're what? Right. The bikes. The bikes. <laughs> yes. But, you know, they, they take the super speedy uh, Segway robot. And, you know, the, the, that's the only time that we saw these things like run every run. every other time. They're just walking. They're just like right. taking their time, just like the doctor said. Uh, and, you know, it it's one of those things that. I, one of those, I don't know, weird little facts that stick in your head, uh, you know, water cannot be compressed. Water mm-hmm. is one of those few elements that, you know, air can be compressed. All sorts of other elements can be compressed. Water cannot. And because water mm-hmm. cannot be compressed, it's why it's so uh, erosive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the passage of time and water, that's that's why you will get, you know, the hardest of services will eventually yield to the strength and patience of water. And so when he says that, 
it it immediately sent a shiver up my spine because mm-hmm. I could just envision just the slow trickle that, you know, it would eventually crack the hole of whatever, you know, and they mentioned it a couple of times like, oh, this is 10 feet thick. And I'm like, it's water. It doesn't care. Right. You know, an uncompressible water in, in any in, in any circumstance, including the vacuum of space, it's going to it's going to it's going to do some real damage, yeah. uh, you know, much more so than anything else. And so it was just, as soon as he said that, I felt that menace in the presence, I think I more felt, than any other bad guy we've ever faced. I felt, um, a, a menacing from it because humans need water to survive, mm-hmm. right? You can survive for days without food, but you can't survive without water. And to have, the sort of fundamental element of your body that you must have be the thing that is turning against you, mm-hmm. right? The one thing that you absolutely must have to survive. And it is the one thing that you absolutely cannot even touch. Yeah. You know, 60% of us is water. And yeah. It, 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 yeah, it, that it can turn against you uh, in, in that, in that way and then turn you into whatever that thing was. Oh, mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. creepy. And, you know, uh, on top of bad news, that was, uh, that was, that was pretty hefty. And yeah. you know, the idea that they were whatever, you know, their, the song or the, the thing that they were doing to break up the, the glacier, presumably to unleash even more of this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that they were smart enough to know, Hey, we can use these people to get off planet and, oh, wait a minute. Earth has a lot of water. Here we come. Uh, You know, just such a, again, Russell T. Davies, man, that guy. uh, And you mentioned it earlier, you know, the the choice of words the doctor uses, uh, very deliberate uh, Mm -hmm. and very menacing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yet. This woman, you know, representing this amazing legacy of humanity. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's it all starts in, you know, as he says all of that, I I recognize, you know, we start the episode with her sort of being really catty with her, presumably her daughter and her, you know, granddaughter. Mm -hmm. Who's like, speak faster. Right. You're like, your your connection is, it's, you know, it's like, uh, I'm sorry that you're on the AT&T network. Uh, <laughs> I'm on Mars. If you want to say something to me, say it faster. Like there's right. that, that weirdness. And you're like, wow, this woman clearly has emotionally put herself in a situation where she sacrificed so much. Right. She's tough. Right. I mean, she's like steely eyed. Uh, I mean... We've we've seen a lot of other captains and commanders that the doctor has interfaced with. You know, the the there was the crew of that spaceship that was siphoning uh, energy off of the sun to power their ship mm-hmm. that the doctor came in uh, contact with. Uh, you know, we he he's he's interactive with a lot of them. The uh, the people in the Impossible Planet. This is the first one that just sort of challenges him. And always retains control, like almost everybody else always kind of relinquishes their control and power over to the doctor because he seems to be so steady. And she's the first one that kind of holds next to him and says, no, I'm, I'm still the captain here. 
Yeah. Definitely, definitely. She remains in charge. I mean, right up through the end, oh, right? Yes. You know what I mean? She she takes matters into her own hands. She looks at this and says, and you know, looks at that situation and says, "No, this is not how this ends. You're not you're not in charge here. I'm in charge here, and mm. I'm going to put a stop to this." So you know, she keeps that role literally up until the end of her life, <laughs> you know? Oh, so talking about that, she, you know, she gets dropped off. The doctor, you know, violates his own rule or, you know, whatever he's now think, you know, thinks he's doing. And he takes her back to earth on the same date. Cause for a second I was like, Oh, did he take them back in time? And he says oh. it's the same date. So basically saves them, teleports them back to earth and as she's walking through the door, she draws her gun. And I thought, is she going to shoot him in the back? Right. Is, is this what's going to trigger the regeneration? Right. And then she goes inside and I was like, okay, maybe I, once again, you know, it's like I, I made an assumption. Russell T. Davies is pain. And then you see that flash. And I was like, that mother trucker. <laughs> I, because immediately the moment she did that, I was like, I know exactly why she did it. I know. Oh, mm -hmm. how did I not see that coming? Yeah. Curse you, Russell T. Davies. Because you think, you know, she's going to put a stop to it. Well, how do you put a stop to him? You stop him, right? That's what right. you, so that's what you think is going to happen. So that brief moment, you're like, she's going to hide behind the door and then shoot at him? Like, what is she doing here? Mm -hmm. And then you see that flash and that moment of realization where you're like, oh, oh. Oh, <laughs> right. She, you yeah. know, she kept history the way it was supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, even though the doctor did everything he could to basically usurp it, she still took control and command of the situation and did the, you know, and at that moment did the unthinkable. But based on the, the previous conversation she had with him, she understood the importance of her passing. Right. Uh, which is another, I mean, like it, talk about the sacrifice and knowing what you're going to do to literally know that for everything else to go the way it's supposed to, I've got to do this. Right. And, and in the face of that, knowing that, as humans, at one moment, you like you see her sort of fight it. And it was like, no, we can still get out of this. And then it, it is abundantly clear in the base, she realizes this is it. This is how this moment ends. There is no other way around it, which right. is what leads to the doctor making his big proclaimment and saying, I'm going to conquer time. And for her to rob him of that moment, uh, I think, you know, just brilliant, brilliant bit of writing. I did not see it coming. Yeah. And what an amazing character that character was. She really is. And that actress, her name is Lindsay Duncan. And like, shout out to her. She's perfect for the role, mm -hmm. right? I mean, and there were other people, I I want to say it was Helen Mirren that was considered for the role. Wow. Um, who also would have been amazing, but, you know, in the lieu of getting somebody as famous as Helen Mirren, you know, this woman, I think really had that 
that change of emotions, right. From, from feeling like, no, I'm, I'm a survivor. I can, Mm -hmm. I can survive this. I'm the captain. I'm in control to, I am out of control and this is what has to happen back to Mm -hmm. no, I'm in control, you know? Right. (laughs) I now control how this turns out and I'm going to choose to make it that it continues to be that. Mm-hmm. I mean, just amazing, amazing bit of writing. And it, it turned the episode around for me because I really oh. was not liking where it was going. Because uh, it's it's so upsetting to see this character that I've grown to love so much just do this heinous thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and become the thing that he is not. He is not that guy. Right. Um, but again, like you said in the absence of having a companion, he makes some really stupid choices. He reminds me of a Dalek in this episode, right? Because, you know, he goes from being survivor to victor and, Mm. and that is not necessarily always the good thing to be because the victor conquers things that maybe they shouldn't conquer, you know? And so, it, it reminds me of that sort of win at all costs kind of mm-hmm. feeling, you know. Which we've seen from him, you know, in, in his discussions of what happened in the time war and how he ended it. We we know that he has that in him, that that side mm-hmm. of him exists uh, and that as remorseful as he has been, that side has reared its ugly head, you know, in front of us before, certainly under Tenant. Uh, we've seen that, you know, darkness creep in here and there. Uh, and it was definitely present in this episode. Uh, and just that, that look he has with his mouth partially open. And yeah. like, it, it's this weird, because it, it's not anger, but it's not joy. Uh, it's just uh, again. it's unchecked ego yeah right it's just complete unchecked ego and like we you know from the beginning of the series that the doctor from the beginning of of literally the beginning of the series that the doctor has an ego you know that's mm-hmm. kind of one of the things that's kind of fun and funny about him sometimes right because he does have that ego and he does know that he can do these things and that he is better quote unquote Mm. than other people in some ways. Right. And so that's one of the kind of fun things about him until it's not Mm -hmm. right. And this is one of those moments where when it becomes unchecked, when he doesn't have a companion to go, Whoa, 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 rein it in there, buddy. You know, he, he goes a little crazy. He goes a little off the deep end. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, it, it's part of that survivor's guilt but also, you know, a race as uh, powerful um, as the Time Lords are when all of a sudden there is nobody else to be there for you mm-hmm. uh, and you don't have that human anchor or that human uh, compass. I think mm-hmm. compass is a better word because that's what most of his companions are. Mm-hmm. It it's very easy for him to get lost in, in those horrible thoughts that he has. Yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, what an amazing episode. Uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about some trivia and let's ask some questions. So let's start with the TARDIS tidbits from Ashley. So okay. Ashley, take it away. This is Ashley's TARDIS tidbits for the 2009 special. 
the waters of Mars. The spacesuit that the doctor wears in this episode is the same one from the series two episode, The Satan Pit. Originally, Russell T. Davies had wanted Helen Mirren for the role of Adelaide Brooke before deciding on Lindsay Duncan. The name of the colony on Mars, Bowie Base One, is of course a reference to David Bowie and his song, Life on Mars. For all you Disney lovers out there, the robot in this episode was inspired by Wally. In the original draft of the script, the doctor would realize what he had done upon seeing Ud Sigma, realize that he'd gone too far, and Adelaide survived. We hear the song of the Ud at the end of this episode. Remember the last time they saw him, they said, I think your song must end soon. And some really smart fans of this episode looked at the letters in this title, The Waters of Mars. They rearranged those letters, and it can be formed to say, Wars of the Master. Hmm. Wonder what that means. Spoilers. Oh, <laughs> it's coming. I know it's coming. <laughs> I They mentioned drumming, and the moment they did, I knew what was to come, and I dread it. Um, but what was up with the with the oud? That's my big question. Well, I, I think we're. I think the doctor is is. He knows he's coming to the end. He knows at that point in the in the show, he in the episode, he knows that he has stepped too far, and he. I don't know if the oud is really there or if it's just a vision. I think it's a vision, right? Where he knows that perhaps because he has gone a step too far, that maybe that is the end for him. And maybe it should be mm. right. Like, I think he has that moment of, you know, did he just kill Adelaide, you know, in, in a, in that he forced her to do that to herself. Right. And so has he stepped so far that he has gone so far over the edge that there's no pulling him back. And the only way for him to be pulled back is to die. Right. Mm. Well, okay, so that leads me to my next question and something that I, I fear I probably won't get an answer to. But <laughs> so it, it seems like a, a, a bit of remorse creeps in uh, or maybe a bit of defiance. Like, how dare you fight against the, the time that I've decided will will be prevalent and he jumps in his TARDIS and starts directing the TARDIS. Is he jumping back in time to prevent the event? Or is he going to a different time to address another event that this encounter evoked in him? He is, he is not addressing this event. This event is over. This, this event okay. has this event has ended the way that it is, was always supposed to end, right? So there's no need for him to go back because, as we see in the little you know flashes to the articles, what needed to happen still happens based mm -hmm. on on what on you know Adelaide killing herself. So there's no need for him to go back and fix this situation because it it righted itself. So he's he's not going back to do anything with this. 
So he he's heading he's heading into a different because as soon as I saw that and of course the credits come up and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I I thought okay this is either you know a I have a time machine I'm going to fix this the way I want it to, or I have a time machine and this this reminded me of something that means more to me. I'm going to go there and fix that or, or address I, that. I think it's more of a, I have a time machine and I'm not dead yet. So um, I'm going somewhere. Right. So it's that moment of like, I know the end is coming, but I'm not dead yet. So mm-hmm. let's, let's get in this thing and let's do something. Let's go somewhere. Well, and I appreciate how he specifically called out that, you know, I was told that I would meet, uh, I guess my end, I think is what he said, mm-hmm. uh, and that it would knock four times. And as the the water creature knocked, it was like, three knocks is all you get. All you get. Yes. You know, so he, he is definitely aware that, you know, uh, whatever it is, it, it's coming and it's definitely heading his way. Um, I that That ood at the end really threw me. Yeah. Uh, especially because, you know, this was a race that he, in essence, you know, killed uh, for the sake of saving the the rest of the universe, you know, from having to deal with uh, the incarnate version of Satan uh, mm-hmm. roaming around. And then he he basically saved, you know, he when mm-hmm. he had the opportunity, he's like, I messed up last time. So this time I'm going to err on the side of the Oods and he gave them hope and he, you know, he, he does, he did the thing that the doctor at his best does. Uh-huh. So for that to be the thing that manifests in front of him at that moment, uh-huh. it kind of, you know, it kind of, kind of broke my heart a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it sort of, um, you know, runs the gamut of the doctor's emotions between when he what he could and couldn't save. Right. And the Ood are so interesting because they don't speak. And so, you know, you're going to ask questions of this being that, you know, cannot answer you. So you're asking the questions that, you know, can't be answered of the creature that, you know, can't answer you. Right. Mm. So I think that's part of why that's the vision, because he he can't answer these questions himself and and nobody can answer them. He he already knows as much as he knows about his end, mm-hmm. right? As much as he's going to know. And so um I think that that is it's very symbolic that the Ood cannot speak and cannot tell him what he wants to know. Well, and it's also a domesticated Ood because it has its brain on the little orb mm-hmm. as opposed to an undomesticated wild Ood, too. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, and uh, I'm going to take a moment because I just had that moment internally as I was saying that. I am so proud of the fact that I know this. <laughs> <laughs> a, a year ago, I would have said, what the hell is an Ood? Right. And now I'm like, the domesticated dudes have the ore because right. they've, you know, their brain has been removed and that makes them more docile. I think you can officially call yourself a fanboy. I, I'm a Hoovian, I guess. <laughs> this is official. Like, I, that's the first time I felt it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm reveling awesome. in it. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so did I miss anything? Was there anything in this episode that, I mean, clearly this is the... 
the foreshadowing of you know the 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 next two ep- of the next two specials and uh and right. what will lead to uh, his ultimate uh change but it, was there anything that i didn't talk about that will come back into play no this this is very much a standalone episode so i i the the emotions that the doctor goes through are very important for his um, journey, I will say. But there's nothing specifically that you need to think about calling back to. Like, there's no little hidden messages. There's just a couple of, like, funny moments. Like, at the very, very beginning, he says, I'm sorry with all of my hearts. Mm-hmm. Hearts, plural, right? And it's just, it's such a quick line. And, of course, you know, they would not even probably hear it. But I'm sorry with all of my hearts. Uh. Um and then I love at the beginning when he says, I hate funny robots, because I remember the first thing that I thought of when he said that I was like, canine was a funny robot and you like canine. And then there's a moment where the guy talks about, well, you know, my friend made his robot like a dog. And the doctor says, oh, dogs are different. That's different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that part, too, It was because it, I, I had that same thought. And I was like, but what about canine? You like canine? Exactly. Uh, exactly. So the fact that he had dogs to qualify it is like, yep, dog, dogs yes. are different. Funny yes. robots, not so much. Funny uh, dog robots completely. I, yes. <laughs> And the only other thing that I'll say is that I just think, I think this is a great episode. If people who are interested in acting and the art of acting, this is a great episode to go back and just rewatch David Tennant because he literally goes through, I think, every emotion in this particular episode from joy to fear to dominance to, mm-hmm. you know, he literally... I mean, goes from everything and to despair, right? When mm-hmm. he thinks that he's not going to be able to save them. And it's so interesting, I think, to see him as an actor in the course of an hour change and go through all of the emotions and do it so seamlessly that, you know, it's not jarring at all. You it, know, it's effortless except in the on way that it's part. supposed to be. Right. Yeah, it, exactly. I mean, it's, it's unhinging, uh, but it, it comes to him uh, naturally. Like yeah. you, you don't see his face and not to say that, you know, there are terrible actors, but you sometimes you can see an actor, especially in television, which is what this is. Mm-hmm. Um and you can see that they're kind of phoning it in. You could see right. that they're, you know, behind their eyes, they're just thinking, what's my next line? What's my mm-hmm. next piece of blocking? Where do I need to go? And there is none of that in this episode for Tennant. Like his no. eyes are where they need to be. He's focused on the faces and the interactions. He's present when the other characters are talking to him. He's not just, you know, because, and sometimes the doctor does this just inherently because his mind is racing at a mile a minute but he is very present with these with these characters he is in that space with them uh the earnestness uh, with which he says you know it was a pleasure meeting you Mm -hmm. is absolutely clear and then like i said i mean there's that close-up but like the 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 pain the anger the his reactions are just i mean we Anybody that has ever seen anything uh, that Tennant has been in, you know that he can act. That guy can definitely do amazing things. 
Uh, and I've seen him, you know, play the villain. I've seen him play, you know, in, in Broadchurch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my wife loved that show. And I, I've seen him be that, you know, broken character. He can, you know, he's amazing. And he really this is. This episode, I, I thank you for pointing that out. Because in this episode, he definitely, I, I felt that acting without it seeming, you know, without it being like, I am acting. Right. Look at how I'm going to deliver this line. I think it's so fascinating how subtle his transitions between those emotions are and that it it happens with a a raise of an eyebrow or, you know, the corner of his mouth moving or it's so subtle the way that he transitions. And it's just it's super fascinating to watch for me. It's one Mm -hmm. of the things that I love about this episode. And one of the reasons why I go back to this episode time and time again, this is one of those like if Doctor Who Marathon is on, I mean, I'll stop and watch any of them, but I'll definitely stop and watch Waters of Mars immediately because I just, it's like a masterclass in acting, you know? It's, uh, as I said, uh, you know, first impressions being what they were watching the episode going, I don't like where this is going. (laughs) At the end of it, it, it's one of those like, I am so glad I got to this episode. Yeah. I'm so glad. uh, And uh, I have not had the chance like you, but... I, I do want to, and I know I'm going to revisit this episode frequently because it's just, it's so good. And, and you know, once again, did Russell T. Davies, uh, his writing is right on point. Yeah. He it's knows. also one of the creepiest episodes, right? Like, I mean, the, the water I mean, not creatures. As, not and- as creepy as the, another episode we had. uh and- Creepy in a different way, right? Right, right. but definitely it, it is more. It, it's leaning more into the horror side of mm-hmm. the sci-fi, um, in a way. At, at least at first, because eventually, yeah. once you see the creatures, uh, you have an opportunity to sort of acclimate to them, right? Uh, and so it, it, they don't. They're menacing, but they're no longer like creepy horror show scare, right? But it's a jump scare almost oh, at yeah, first, yeah. right? I, like when he first turns and you, and I mean, like kudos to the makeup team, right? Uh-huh. For for those crazy, scary mouths. Um, and but, imagine being an actor having to have like water pumped yes. near your mouth the whole time. Like, <laughs> yes. Uh, but I could totally see uh, that base turn into a Halloween Horror Night ha- uh, haunted mansion. Yes, uh, kind of for thing, sure. You know? Or haunted house. That's what I mean. Haunted house. I know. Uh, I know you know. Like, especially, you know, in a situation where they jump scare you and you get splattered with water. Like, oh, that would be so creepy. Yes. (laughs) You walk out half soaked. You're like, oh, my gosh, that was so creepy and so horrible. Um, But I would do it in a heartbeat with my uh, (laughs) with my sonic screwdriver in hand. Yes. Like the true fanboy that you are now. The true, you are, you know, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I'm starting to definitely feel, uh, I wouldn't say fanboy. I would say Whovian. All right. You know, but I'm definitely fanboying out over here. But thank you so much for joining me for this episode. You are very welcome. Thank you as always for having me. Oh, I, I'm I'm glad we finally got to your favorite episode. <laughs> one of one of many. But yes, we, yes, uh, we've got plenty more to come. But uh, also, thank you, dear listener, for making it to the end of yet another uh, 
first-time Lord. Uh, your support and listening to the show means the world to me. So if you haven't already, head on over to firsttimelord.com. There you can leave a comment on this week's episode or any week's episode, but I'm really interested in what you thought about this week's episode and that whole water creature and and their creepy factor. Uh, I'd really want to know your thoughts on that. Uh, While you're at the website, if you want to support the show, we've got a merch shop where you can get some t-shirts and some iPhone cases and some other cool stuff. Uh, That is always appreciated. If merch is not your thing, you can also click on the link that will take you to Patreon, or you can search for Daniel Levain on Patreon and become a supporter of the show that way. Uh, Either way, we appreciate your financial support, but most importantly... If you want to support the show, share it. Find somebody else that, like me, has refused, willingly or unwillingly, to watch the episode and say, listen, there's this guy, and now he's a Huvian. He's a fanboy. I think you can be that person, too, and share the podcast with them. Let's, Let's get the Doctor Who fandom even bigger and get this community growing so that we can all get back to enjoying Doctor Who. Uh, the way it should be, which is with joy and excitement. But I am out of time this week, and I know I have to mentally prepare because after this week, I'm sure the next two weeks are going to be rough. So let me jump in my TARDIS and head on over. I'll see you next week, everybody.